Letters from a Glass House is a not-for-profit ministry of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Venice, Florida. Support us today at UUCOV.org. giving us the opportunity to speak today. Have you ever come away from a conversation that, with someone and thought, she didn't even laugh at my joke, that was rude. Or maybe, he wouldn't even look me in the eye, I bet he was lying. Today we will only have a time to skim the surface of the topic of neurodiversity, but I am hoping to introduce you to some different perspectives that represent many of us, and probably many of you in the audience, whether you are aware of it or not. Neurodiversity is the natural diversity of the human brain. When we say neurodiversity, we're using this term to represent all of the brains that differ from what society considers the norm or neurotypical. This image is from the World Economic Forum, and you can see that autism, ADHD, Tourette syndrome, dyslexia, dyspraxia, OCD, and mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression, and bipolar disorder all fall under the umbrella of neurodiversity. Other groups that are processing different other groups that are often considered neurodivergent include, include people with sensory processing differences, people with the extremes of cognitive ability, and people with other developmental disabilities, among others. On the next slide, let's watch a short video to learn more about neurodiversity. Just like our fingerprints, all our brains are unique. But for the majority of people, their brains are similar enough that there are largely no obvious differences in how they function. They have differences in things like skills, preferences and styles. But mostly, their brains mean they perceive the world in the same way. But for others, their brains are more fundamentally different. They have differences in things like social understanding, sensory processing, communication and information processing. These differences are a result of neurological differences such as autism, ADHD, dyslexia and more. This natural variation in our brains is called neurodiversity. Those of us with no neurological conditions are neurotypical, and those of us with neurological conditions are neurodivergent. Neurodivergent people think differently. Their unique perspectives and experiences mean they can often excel at creativity and innovation, have highly specialized skill sets, and an ability to hyperfocus. If embraced, this can be a huge advantage to organisations and society. However, the differences neurodivergent people experience can make life challenging. In order to thrive at work, they often need some simple accommodations. For example, a sensory calm environment to recharge in, or a routine with the same start and end times. Approximately one in seven people are neurodivergent, 
So not only is embracing neurodiversity critical for a truly inclusive organisation, but it also presents organisations with a huge opportunity. Now that we know a little bit more about what neurodiversity is, let's talk about why this is important. For most of history, humans have been expected to believe in, behave in similar or expected ways. Anyone who diverged from the norm was bullied, hospitalized, ostracized, or even burned at the stake. Neurodivergent people have collectively spent years and years in therapy to, to learn to understand and behave like neurotypicals. We, when we accept neurodiversity as a natural part of the human condition, we begin to see that it's everyone's job to understand each other, regardless of neurotype. Neurotypicals have a, learn, a lot of learning to do, to catch up. Let's start today. <laughs> Some people call diagnoses related to neurodivergence hidden disabilities. This is because often you cannot see what's going on inside someone's head. You may not be able to tell that they're different and might be struggling just by looking. Memes are one of my favorite hobbies, so I'm going to use memes to help explain some of the things neurodivergent people <coughs> may be dealing with right at this very minute, sitting next to you, that you never realized. This meme has Obi-Wan Kenobi making a very nondescript face. Maybe you can tell what this is supposed to represent, but for me, it looks like he could be mad, confused, interested, sad, slightly disgusted, or even constipated. I have no idea. <laughs> many, many neurodivergent people have a lot of difficulty naming emotion on someone's face, especially if they're new to us. <coughs> Subtitles while watching movies can be very helpful with this problem. <coughs> Moving on, this meme has a girl walking along holding her ears under a phrase that says me in sensory overload and a band of people on all sides of her playing the trumpet. This slide represents two challenges. The first one is that many neurodivergent people have a different sensory system so that something may sound, that may sound normal to you can sound extremely loud and overwhelming to us or we may not notice it at all. The same goes for visual input, tactile input, olfactory input, and taste. And number two, most neurodivergent people have a threshold that's lower than that for neurotypical people for just being completely overwhelmed and needing some time to recharge. All people have a threshold for this. I'm sure you can think of a time where you just done and needed a break. Neurodivergent people tend to reach this point sooner and from different stimuli than neurotypicals. <clears throat> These memes are here to talk about hobbies and special interests. We all have hobbies, right? Often neurodivergent people take it up a notch and really deep dive into our areas of passion. The first meme says, can you imagine asking, saying to Mozart, stop obsessing over that piano, or to Einstein, you talk about astrophysics way too much, try another topic. <laughs> Passions and special interests can change the world. The second meme shows how we often pathologize the neurodivergent, which makes them other. It shows the same picture of a boy playing with dinosaurs. For the non-autistic child, it's a hobby. For the autistic child, people call it an obsession. Remember, words matter when talk words matter when talking about us. These are memes to remind us that neurodivergent people often prefer not to make eye contact. The first one says, concentrating so hard on the appropriate eye contact to looking away ratio that you have no idea what's being said to you. 
The second one says what it looks like when I eye contact at the top and what it feels when I make, like when I make eye contact at the bottom with laser beams between their eyeballs. This does not mean we are being disrespectful and not listening. Some people actually listen better when they're not trying to filter the visual input of, look, of staring directly into your eyes. This slide is talking about stims. What are stims, you ask? Do you see anyone around you bouncing their leg, tapping their foot? Do you sometimes listen to your favorite song over and over and over? <laughs> Congratulations, you are stimming. Everyone does this sometimes, but neurotypicals tend to be able to understand when it may not be socially acceptable and don't tend to require it as much for self-regulation. And neurodivergent stims for, for two basic reasons. The first one being we're happy or excited. For example, tapping to music, bouncing with happy hands, saying a phrase in a movie we like over and over. And the second one would be for self-regulation when we're overwhelmed for some reason. This can look like rocking back and forth, repeated tapping of hands, screeching, or any number of different behaviors. The behaviors under number two are always, almost always due to unmet needs and, di and difficulty making those needs known. What can neurotypicals do? Accept us for who we are, not the neurotypical version you think we could or should be. If we aren't causing harm, <coughs> causing harm, let us be. Presume competence and question your prejudices. On the subject of prejudices, don't raise your hand because I really don't want to know, but how many people think that autistic people lack empathy? This seems to be a common misconception. Let's walk, watch a video on the double empathy problem. This is an idea developed by autistic researcher, Dr. Damian Milton. Did you know that autistic folks don't actually lack empathy? Yeah, today we're gonna to talk about the double empathy problem. Hi there, my name is Megan. Welcome to Neurodivergent Magic, the YouTube channel for neurodivergent content. <clears throat> if you've heard that autistic folks don't have empathy, it's okay, you're not alone. It's a really popular misconception, but it turns out, it's totally not true. According to some recent studies, autistic folks actually are very empathetic, and the misconception that they aren't comes from a couple of different sources. Number one, it makes autistic folks seem a little less human, and that's what society really needed to hear when we were treating autistic folks very, very poorly, and we still continue to do so. Autistic children are regularly exposed to the same behavioral training as dogs, which can include putting hot sauce on their tongues when they display unwanted behaviors or even shocking them with electric shocks. This treatment is inhumane, point blank, and sometimes people justified it by saying that autistic people didn't feel as much. But now we know this to be completely and utterly false and this kind of treatment is always wrong. The second reason that we have believed for a long time that autistic folks lack empathy is because of something called the double empathy problem, which is what I really wanna dig into today. I want you to picture one car driving west and another car driving east. They are headed directly for each other and somehow they don't collide. How is that possible? It's pretty simple. Turns out one of the cars is on an overpass and going directly overhead. The two cars just miss each other even though they're headed directly for each other. This is exactly what happens when autistic folks and allistic folks try to communicate. If you don't know, allistic basically means not autistic. One study, which I will link below in the description, had a group of autistic folks play a game of telephone. 
and had a group of holistic folks play a game of telephone. They played separately. Both groups did about equally the same. The message got somewhat garbled, but it wasn't completely incoherent. Then this researcher mixed the groups and combined autistic and holistic people and had them play telephone again. Can you guess what happened? Yeah, the message was a total mess. So what does this teach us? It teaches us that autistic folks don't lack empathy. They just lack neurotypical empathy and they lack empathy for neurotypical people in the same way that neurotypical people would expect it. Autistic folks are really great at communicating and empathizing with other autistic folks, just like neurotypical people are pretty good at communicating and empathizing with other neurotypical folks. If we go back to the car metaphor, a lot of times people like to describe autistic folks as having a faulty engine or going in the wrong direction. But really, autistic folks have a, an engine that works just fine and they're headed in the right direction totally. They're just on an overpass. Sometimes when holistic and autistic people communicate, things get missed. And that's not the autistic person's fault. That's just how communication between autistic folks and holistic folks works. That's the double empathy problem. And I think it's really important for us to realize that different communication is not faulty communication. And I also want to point out that this double empathy problem definitely applies to other forms of neurodivergence as well. So if you have ADHD, if you're highly sensitive, gifted, learning disorders, dyslexia, you may experience this as well. Have you experienced the double empathy problem in real life? Tell me about it in the comments. And as always, thank you so much for watching and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss new videos on neurodivergence every week. What can neurotypicals do? Language is important. Most autistic adults prefer identity-first language. This means we prefer to be called an autistic person rather than a person with autism. This may be shocking to hear. Maybe many people grew up in a time when the reverse is true, but that's the disease model that many people were taught to accept. The neurodiversity model says many of these diagnoses are not diseases. Usually if one is neurodivergent, their entire nervous system is the core of who they are is neurodivergent. That we are awesome the way we are and we don't need to feel like we have an affliction or that, or that we are suffering from something. And we certainly don't want pity. However, the most important thing is to respect the wishes of each individual. So, if, so, you, so you might want to ask someone what, what type of language they prefer. This is just a slide to illustrate that neurology is not an accessory. There is not a separate person aside from the autism, ADHD, dyspraxia, etc. We are proud to be who we are. This slide is included because people tend to think that they are giving you a compliment by saying, but you're high functioning. Functioning levels are not accepted by the autistic community as valid. When you say you're high functioning, what you mean is, I don't see your challenges. When you say someone is low functioning, what is often meant is, I don't see your strengths. These are neurotypical labels that most neurodivergents eschew. This slide is an example of things that people sometimes say when they think they're meaning well, but are actually very insulting and disrespectful to neurodivergent people. One thing that you shouldn't say is, you don't look autistic, ADHD, depressed, or like you're struggling. Everyone's a little autistic, scattered, or anxious sometimes. My grandson's neighbor's, my grandson's neighbor's friend's son-in-law is 
autistic, ADHD, epileptic. So you, I know how you feel, think, etc. No, you don't. We're all unique. <laughs> and, and finally, I want to wrap, wrap up with the last two slides. This is a comment from Temple Grandin, who you may recognize as an autistic advocate. She says, what would happen if the autism gene was eliminated from the gene pool? You'd have a bunch of people standing around in a cave, chatting and socializing and not getting anything done. <laughs> we, we know that autism is strongly genetic and that autistic traits have helped further the human race, race since the beginning of time. Did you know that between one and 2% of the population is autistic? The last meme says, look at me, I'm a neurotypical. I give weird, <coughs> weird hints about things instead of just telling people. <laughs> so you can see, we all have areas that we can work on. Thank you so much for giving us your attention today. I know you may have more questions on all of this, but I will need some downtime after this presentation. So you're welcome to send questions to Kathy Avery and she will forward them to me. Please be patient and understand that I may reply at a different pace than neurotypicals expect.